with a very encouraging truth that may surprise you. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. You personally. Oh, yes, God loves the whole world. He loved the whole world so much he sent his only begotten son. But no, no, this is very focused. This is you. God loves you. Yes, the person next to you, but he loves you. God couldn't love me. I'm too quirky. I'm too weird. Yeah, he'll take anybody. Just look up here. They'll take anybody. He loves you individually. He knows all about you, all your little weirdnesses, you know, that you think nobody knows about that. No, no, God does, and he still loves you. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. The wonderful truth that God loves you is said so much it can lose its impact, except for the fact that it's really true, as we'll be reminded today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll get that reminder from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's there we learn some encouraging truths about God's love. We'll learn He chose you and stays committed to you and has given you some remarkable promises which He will keep. Beginning with what's required to enter these promises from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's Pastor Ed. When you do not approach the Scripture with humility, you'll never see the truth. You must humble yourself. That's the way God set it up. If you'll come humbly... He'll accept anyone. If you come with an arrogant sneer on your face, he's not so impressed with you. When you have the attitude that, you know, I don't need God, I'm fine, then God will let us do what we think we can do. These people don't love the truth, and they are thus easy prey for the devil. They might be saved as God's heart. That's what it says. Because They might be saved if they would receive the truth. They're saying, no, I refuse it. God's desire is they would. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, deception. Delusion is the right word that they should believe the lie. Delusion means a wandering, the Greek word here. They they wander off the path of truth. They look for other things. Ah, That's too confining, that Jesus thing. I'm going to go with Maharajiji or, you know, pick your prophet kind of a thing. Religious inventions, you know, you start worshiping trees and rocks and all sorts of Mother Earth and, oops, sorry, did I say that? Delusion is stronger than deception. Deception means that a person can be fooled about something. But delusion is a way of life. It's become a pathway for that person. They think that way. They harbor it in their heart. And the danger is that it would become permanent. God can break through. Pray. You got somebody in your life that needs the Lord that way? Pray. But they're under a strong. That's the word here. It means supernatural working. They're under a strong, in this case, delusion, a way of life. God will send this. Why? I had a long conversation with a college kid about this. Isn't that unfair, he said. And his concept was that, you know, they really would come if they just could see it and that God's blinded them. No, no, no. 
we see a parallel story in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But please, don't misunderstand that statement. It is not poor old Pharaoh that just wants to let the children of Israel go, but God blinds him so he can't see the real truth. No, no, it's the opposite. Pharaoh set his heart against God. The first statement about that whole story, go read it, is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. When Moses said, God says, let my people go, he said, no. And God used that. Used it? Yeah. Ten plagues, all against gods of Egypt. The Nile River was a god. Frogs were gods. Cattle still are gods in many parts of the earth. The Hindu were for sure. Flies. Really, Lord of the Flies? That's a title you'd want. But that was part of God's plan so that the rest of the Egyptians would see it. And when the Jews came out, it was a mixed multitude. What's that mean? That means a lot of Egyptians came with them because they could see that God was God, much stronger than all the false gods of Egypt. But Pharaoh hardens his heart, so God locks it in so then he can do what he needs to do to show the rest of the people in the country that he's God. It happens nine times after that. And that's exactly what's going on here. Don't approach Scripture with humility, then you leave yourself setting their heart. Now, the same sun that softens wax hardens clay. And that's why when the gospel is preached, even right now here this morning, in this room, out on the internet, radio, some people are softening to God, and some people are setting their heels in the ground and stiffening against God perfect example of what this verse is talking about. The sun is shining. What are you doing with it? It will happen in the last days. Revelation chapter 9 verse 20, but the rest of mankind, it reads, who were not killed by these plagues in the last days, did not repent of the works of their hands. They didn't repent. That's all it takes, repentance. God, please forgive me. I surrender. That's it. If we're faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's too easy. It's easy because you didn't do it. God did it. He did all the work. He died on the cross for you. All you have to do is accept it. That they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They enjoyed sin too much. Scripture's very honest. It says there is pleasure in sin for a season. And Moses didn't think he wanted to stay in that pleasure in sin for a season in Egypt, it says in Hebrews. There is pleasure, but it's only for a period of time. And eternity is what is in the balance, right? All right, so whew, made it through the Antichrist part. Now the good news, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Paul says, we need to do this. We're obliged to thank God for you, you Thessalonians, and you here this morning. Brethren, Adelphios, it means of the same womb. You're of the same womb, the adopted womb of God, beloved by the Lord. What? Loved by God. You personally. Oh, yes, God loves the whole world. He loved the whole world so much he sent his only begotten son. But no, no, this is very focused. This is you. 
God loves you. Yes, the person next to you, but he loves you. God couldn't love me. I'm too quirky. I'm too weird. Yeah, he'll take anybody. Just look up here. He'll take anybody. He loves you individually. He knows all about you, all your little weirdnesses, you know, that you think nobody knows about that. No, no, God does, and he still loves you. That's what this says, beloved by the Lord. He's going to say it again. Because God from the beginning, the word is first fruits, from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Okay, salvation is a gift. Nobody can earn it. Nobody who was saved deserved it. God gave a gift, a gift of grace that saves a person. And for most of us in this room, in our desperation, we said, okay, God, okay, I surrender. It's something like that. It wasn't a great act of spirituality or holiness. It was desperation. But God will take that, and then we are saved, salvation. It's also called justification. Just as if I never sinned. Just as if you never sinned. It's in a moment, boom, in an instant. But there's a process that takes the rest of our lifetime. Scripture calls sanctification literally to be set aside. You are in process right now. God is setting you aside. Well, I haven't grown very much, Pastor, since I raised my hand, since I surrendered to the Lord. Just keep coming. Faith comes by hearing the word. Put some effort of your time, not but just come and listen here or somewhere else where the gospel is being preached, where the scripture is being taught, and you will be changed. That's God's promise to you. Now, I drive around, I was in Orange County the other day, and I saw there's a lot of churches that have little, you know, their little signs, logos on the decal on the window or a bumper sticker, and it, it says so-and-so church, you know, come visit us, or, uh, you know, where uh, the gospel is preached or something. I think ours for the packing house should be uh, the packing house, God's not through with us yet. Because it seems to me the people with the fish on their car are the worst drivers in California. <laughs> So I don't want to be responsible for stumbling a bunch of heathen dogs that are saying, I'm never going to that church. Look at the way that person drives, you know? Or how about a t-shirt that says, packing house, I have issues, but God is working. You know, something like that, you know? God's not through with me yet. Under construction, something like that, that we could all identify with and go, yeah, Wow, he's just getting started on you, buddy. You got a, <laughs> got a long way to go. That's sanctification. Notice it's not by you. You can't sanctify yourself. Oh, I can. I can try. No, no, no. Sanctification by capital S, the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's that new covenant. Okay, little review. When Jesus took the cup that night, and I hope you all took communion, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. Now, God had already described the new covenant in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. He said, I'll take out your heart of stone. Listen to the eyes. I'll take out your heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will write my law of love on your heart, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. Five I wills from God. Well, what's my part? Surrender. Oh, that doesn't sound hard. Try it. <laughs> That's like every day, every day. Oh, God, I surrender again. 
That's sanctification. Belief, trust, clinging to, relying on the truth, the truth that Jesus died for me. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's taking us verse by verse through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And now, here's more about the glorious truth that Jesus died not only for Pastor Ed, but us too. I believe, what? I believe Jesus Christ died for me. Because he thought I was worth it? I don't know. (laughs) But somehow, I pulled the wool over his eyes and he let me in. And that's the hope for you, all of us. Nobody earns it. It's a gift. We'll get to that again in just a minute. Verse 14, to which you were called by the good news, the good news, Jesus has died for me, for the obtaining of the glory, receiving, obtaining the glory, the fullness, you you get to be God's ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador. Thus, the reason for the t-shirts and the bumper stickers that say, God's not through with me yet because I'm not quite Jesus Christ yet and never will be. He called you. He is calling you now. Called? Yeah. Some of you right now are sitting here going, "What's, what's up with this? The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. That pressure you feel building there? He said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Call upon me. Seek me, and I will be found. Over and over again, he's, he's calling to every person on the planet. But we can keep putting our fingers in our ears and saying, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Or we can go, okay, I surrender. That's what he's waiting for. That's the call. Good hope by grace. Last section, verse 15. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you of the same womb, you who have been adopted into the family of God, stand fast, stand strong, stand firm. Different translations. Hang in there and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of our epistle. Now, careful, Paul does not mean man-made traditions here. Human traditions are not what he has in mind. In fact, Jesus spoke very strongly against man-made traditions. Listen to Mark. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, Mark 7, 8. Neglecting the commandments of God, he says to them, you hold to the traditions of man. Verse 13, thus invalidating the word of God by your traditions which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. I grew up in a church that had all kinds of traditions. And then there would be, I started reading this book when I, after I surrendered to the Lord at 26, and there's all kinds of things in this book that we weren't doing, and a whole bunch of things that we were doing the book didn't say to do. That's exactly what Jesus was coming up against, traditions of man are not what he's talking about. Colossians 2, 8, Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Don't buy into these man-made rules and regulations in churches. 
or weirdnesses and cults and on and on it goes. You were taught, Paul's referring to him teaching them. He spoke to them, he was there in word, and then by letter. We're reading one of his letters, whether by word or by epistle. Paul's point is to look at the importance of the letters he was writing. I believe that Paul knew he was writing scripture when he wrote this. The Holy Spirit was on him, and so he understood that this was going to be part of scripture. Scripture enables us believers, we as believers, to stand strong. You spend time in it, and you will be able to persevere. That's what he's saying. This book is so important for not just salvation, but for growth. Absolutely critical. We have someone in the church who works for Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he keeps me up on the the new stuff. There's 6,906 languages in the world, and it is Wycliffe's intention to get at least one book of the Bible, the Gospel of John, into every single language on the planet. Now, so far there's 2,932 languages with at least one book. So that leaves 3,977. But about 2,000 of those are really small people groups, less than 1,000 people in them. But they're still doing it. So the Bible translation project that's going on right now is their intent to get started in every single language by 2025 so that every single language group in the world will have at least a gospel record for them. So Paul says the importance of the written word, verse 16. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. This is a great verse. Notice the word our, O-U-R. Our Lord, our master, our ruler. This saying that you and I need to surrender to Jesus Christ as master, ruler, Lord of our lives. God wants us to do that so we can have some room in our lives to sanctify us, to change us, and give us salvation. We want to hold him off all the time. Now, please don't tell me you can't choose. Scripture says otherwise. There are some theologians that, and I'll probably get into debates this week, some theologians say, well, you don't really have a choice. Scripture says, Joshua, choose this day who you will serve. Hmm, sounds like he intended them to choose. Elijah, standing on Mount Carmel, how long will you halt between these two opinions? If God is God, serve him, choose who you will serve. Oh, yes, we can choose. We can choose our own selfishness, or we can choose to finally give up and say, God, I surrender. When he is Lord, Jesus, and our God and Father, who has, there it is again, loved us. God loves you. He's a father who desires you to know his love. He has already loved you while he was putting you together inside your mother's womb. He made you, and he gave you a choice. That's why David said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearful? Yeah, you can say, no, God. Now, there's a contradiction. No, Lord. That's a contradiction. Fearful, but wonderful when we say, I surrender take control, who has loved us and given us everlasting encouragement, strengthening, and then this phrase, good hope by grace. Good hope by grace. 
You see, grace means gift, charis, the Greek word. In that day, the Greek two words, good, hope, meant for the non-believer, the unbelieving Greek, it meant life after death. So Paul takes this secular statement of living forever and puts it in the context of by a gift. Good hope, eternal life, by a gift from God. See, none of us can claim to have, well, I got it right, and God said, you get to go to heaven. No, no. God said, I'm an idiot, but he'll take me anyway, as long as I keep surrendering to him. And that's the gift to you. It's here this morning. It's waiting for you to reach out and take it. And maybe you had it, and you let it slip through your fingers, because this world has a lot of attractive things in it, people, relationships, and different addictions and idols of all different kinds. God is saying, come, come unto me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, good hope, an expectation of eternity, an anticipation of eternity. Last verse, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. God will give you comfort. Human comfort is available for only a short time. It's only temporary. But God's comfort is, in fact, eternal. That's what he's saying here. Okay, so let me try and sum it up. The good hope. Father God loved us. Father God is, as Andrew Murray said, Father God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. God's able. He will take it all on. That, in fact, he's waiting to have control of your life. God Almighty wants to establish you in good hope. The Dutch colony at the, we'll close with this, at the end of Africa, South Africa, was founded in 1652, but the Cape was discovered in uh, 1468, by uh, a guy named Bartholomew Diaz, a Portuguese explorer. And when he comes around the end of the southern tip of Africa, he's hit with storms because uh, there's gale force winds coming off Antarctica and there were 30-foot waves, and he called it the Cape of Storms. Now, eight years later, Vasco da Gama came, and when he came around, he saw it, and he said, this has been named wrong. He said, he put it on his map and it became the standard, the Cape of Good Hope. Because he was looking to what was ahead, exploring the entire east coast of Africa, through India, all the way to Burma, and he knew about the jewels that were there in Burma sapphires. And he made it. He went all the way around, came and brought back fabulous riches that were worth almost nothing in that day in that country, but in his own country, fabulous wealth. Good hope. Now, you and I can call our life the life of storms, and it will be that. Or we can look at our life and call it the life of good hope by grace. That is God's intention for you individually, for us as a nation, that we would have an expectation, an anticipation of God having control of everything that we need. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless in them. Richard Baxter said it this way, as we paid nothing for God's eternal love, nothing for his son's love, nothing for his spirit, our grace and faith, and nothing for our eternal rest, what an astonishing thought. 
it will be to think the immeasurable difference between our deservings, what we deserve, and our receivings, what we actually get. So let then deserved be written on the floor of hell, but on the door of heaven, let it be written free gift. Thanks for joining us today for Grow in Grace. We're going through 2 Thessalonians with Pastor Ed Ray. If you missed a part of today's message, or you'd just like to hear it again, just go online to thepackinghouse.org or give us a call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're also on YouTube at Packing House Christian Fellowship. Your support of Grow in Grace is not only needed, but greatly appreciated. And those that do this month will send you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal, or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help you elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective way to use prayer to better understand God's Word, fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace as our study of 2 Thessalonians continues with Pastor Ed Ray. And may God richly bless you as you grow in grace. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick, be healed, and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love.